Welcome in to Two for One Drafts, PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. We are streaming live on YouTube every Tuesdays and Thursday. And we're also, uh, you can be, catch us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. If you are watching on YouTube, ticker below, that'll be flying in here soon. We'll have PFF's latest mock draft. Dive into that if you'd like. YouTube, always a good thing. You can see me. You can see Renner. Mm-hmm. He dresses okay. I was going to say, is, is that a good thing, seeing seeing us? <sighs> you know, I wish I dressed better. I, I, I've, I've said it, and I'll say it again. My fashion sense is pretty piss poor, but we're just going to keep diving into this one. Um, on today's uh, episode, we're not going to be just talking about our fashion sense. We'll be mm. bringing up what's on tap, Good. previewing some of the top prospect matchups of the weekend. We also got our draft specials, talking about some rookies here that we haven't talked about a ton on the podcast. I think we've been hammering some of the same names, hammering specifically Garrett Bradbury for how poorly <laughs> he's been playing. But also, we're going to. There have been t- offensive that have been worse, though. Exactly. We'll touch on them. Yeah. Which is exciting. And then we'll also do a little micro-brew segment. That's where we bring up a small school prospect that maybe you haven't heard of, but you should be hearing about. And then a local IPA. Something that you should be... You know, he's a big school guy, but you probably haven't caught on to him yet. So local IPAs... They're we'll different. So, they're different segments. Exactly. Different segments, but they'll be fun ones. Uh, let's go ahead and dive right into it. We've already brought up Fashion Sense enough. What's on tap? We're going to be mm-hmm. breaking this down by day, starting with Thursday. SMU, Shane Buchel, Reggie Robertson... James Prochet, I'm saying Prochet, I don't care if it's Proche. Prochet sounds cooler <laughs> at Houston. Talk to me about Buchel first. This is a cool one. I, I'm excited for this one. This Buchel's, is a cool one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, the only game Thursday night, uh, obviously Houston, Josh Jones, we've talked about him a bunch. Uh, he's probably going to dominate in this one. But Buchel is the guy I want to watch going up against a Houston defense that is pretty bad. 128th in our coverage rank so far this year. But Buchel has shown a lot more than he did early on in his career at Texas. Now, that's obvious. He's... You know, already a senior now. This is fourth year in college as a you know freshman, sophomore. Dude just wanted to sling it around the yard. Didn't mm-hmm. really care uh, if guys were open or not. He was going to be going deep. Now, he still kind of has a little bit of that to him. 10.6 uh, dot, 10.6 yards downfield. This is average depth of target. Uh, that's still pretty deep. 19 big-time throws. Still second in the country. Tied for he, second list. special throws with Joe Burrow. Yes. Tied for second in the country with Joe Burrow. So he makes some special throws down the field. Can play on the move, which I love to see. Outside the pocket, second reaction plays. He is fantastic at that. Ball placement still an issue. He's still not necessarily the most accurate guy with football, but he is intriguing. I, I've, what I've seen from him this year is a lot different than we saw in years past. Uh, I'm intrigued about what he can be as a prospect. I think he's a guy who, if you went to something like the senior ball, could help him a lot because what, the competition faced at SMU, not great. Hopefully SMU you know, stays undefeated, goes to a nice little bowl, and we get to see him there. But uh, so he actually is even – so he's been all over the place in terms of accuracy. Uh, he has a high uncatchable pass rate, 23% this year. Guys like Tua, Burrow, Eason, they're all below 16%. So that's a, that's a high off-target rate of just mm-hmm. completely uncatchable. But he is tenth in the country in terms of perfectly placed balls. Oh, so it's a, so he's got it's an like a roller coaster a little I was bit. Say, he's got a little bit of a roller coasterness to him. Uh, very hashtag fun to watch kind of guy. But I do think he's he's playing his way up draft boards with his performance this year at SMU. I can get on board with the roller coaster. I want to stay mm-hmm. on Buchel before we dive in the receivers at SMU on Buchel and specifically the stat big time throws. So for those of you who don't know, big time throws are kind of mentioned a lot on all of PFS podcasts. Those are PFFs highly graded throws on these negative yes. two to positive two scales. So if you don't know, we grade every single player on every single play on negative two to positive two. The throws that are 1.0 or higher get graded as big time throws. These are our special throws down the field into tight windows. And if you look at this stat, your guy, Tyler Johnston of UAB, Mr. Mm. Small Hands, but big time throws. Big time. He makes up in hand size. 
He makes up for what he lacks in hand size with big time throws. He yes. pushes the ball downfield. But speaking of roller coaster, 26 big time throws, college football high, 17 turnover worthy plays. That guy definitely is up and down as they come. And then you go to Joe Burrow and Shane Bouchelle, tied for second with 19 big time throws. And right below that, a guy, a name we'll bring up later, Anthony Gordon with 18 big time throws and mm-hmm. 17 turnover worthy plays. Yeah, Another yeah. roller coaster that you'd probably rather jump off than uh, stay on board with. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll make you sick. Exactly. If you're going to you're go just throwing up, up all over the place, time. you know, like a Jameis Winston roller coaster. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and talk about uh, Shane Buchel and his receivers yeah. specifically. We haven't uh, talked about Reggie Roberson and James Prochet a ton. These guys are producing very well with Buchel at the helm. W- what's your take on those two? Yeah, we talked about Prochet. I'm actually probably more a fan of his than Roberson. Uh, Prochet, good underneath intermediate route runner, I think. And my favorite part about him was great ball skills uh, and he goes over the middle. He's a guy who a lot of slot receivers, you know, undersized guys uh, aren't going to be making that catch with a linebacker bearing down on him getting hit. He will be. So I think that is a guy who may not necessarily look the part at 5'11", 190. Uh, doesn't necessarily play win or win a ton from the outside, although he does play from the outside there at SMU sometimes. Uh, but I think that his skill set is one that NFL QBs will like because they NFL QBs like when they're not getting hung out to dry by their receivers. Prochet will not be hanging any QB out to dry anytime soon. Doesn't look the part. Five foot eleven, one ninety is the new wide that receiver in the NFL. I, know, yeah. I like that. I like receivers of those size that can create separation, have some suddenness in their routes. Looking at this, you know his stats specifically. He ranks ninth in the country in yards per or no in receiving grade so far this year. I think that's fantastic. A concern I see in the in the stats though. 21 contested catch opportunities, only nine receptions. You'd like to see him come down with more of those? Yeah, I mean, that's not never going to be Not his game. games. You, know, his you're game. Not, when, you like to see the guys who should, the 6'3", 225 guys, if they're 9 for 21, that's a concern. Mm-hmm. If if you're at that rate and you're that's not ever going to be your game, I'm not too not super worried about that. Let's go ahead and go to our next game here, Friday edition, USC at Colorado, a little Montez. But I'm going on USC side. There's some receivers this in is, this yeah, game. A wide receiver Michael talent Pittman, all around I here. like LaVisca Chenault for Colorado. If you want to watch a wide receiver showdown, I think this is a great game to watch. You won't be throwing up as much. I think there's less <laughs> roller coaster QBs in this one, but I think it will be a good one to watch Pittman and LaVisca work. Yeah, I, I just... I want to see LaVisca just get some opportunities. He's yes. been targeted 18 times, 10 plus yards down the field. Like that's unacceptable. You know, three times a game. That's, that's awful. Like that's not, he should be getting six to eight targets that far down the field. And he should be getting just pumped vertical routes. Like he is your offense there at Colorado, not to put it too bluntly, but you don't have a lot of talent. You're Colorado. I'm sorry. Uh, give your man's the ball a little more than he's been getting the ball here because uh, that, from a scouting perspective, is a lot. Basically, all we need to sort of confirm for him is that downfield ability. Because when he has the ball in his hands, still electric, still one of the m- most dynamic receivers in college football. Just let him let him rip down the field. I mean. Montez, you're not helping your stock by not targeting him. Yeah, I really do think they need to get him involved more on the vertical passing game. He's shown that explosiveness sometimes when not targeted. I remember you went in and watched his yeah, r- just, his, just routes. his routes. Didn't even look at his targets, watched his routes cool. on the All-22 and saw that explosiveness, that second gear mm-hmm. he does have. The problem is Montez isn't using it. That Colorado offense isn't using it. Let yeah. me see him in one-on-one situations running this vertical route tree and dominating, and then you can start to legitimately elevate his stock. Less yeah. projection and more like, no, we've seen this before. He can do this in the mm-hmm. NFL. For the USC side, we've talked about Michael Pittman a little bit here. What are you looking from him? I think we know what we want to see from LaVisca, but what do you want to see from Michael Pittman? What more does he kind of have to prove? I'm not sure there's a ton more he has to prove. You kind of know what he is. You know he, what I mean? he is what he is at this point. 
Uh, and it's a very good. Just keep winning your contest situations. Keep showing that no matter what defensive back you're going up against, you will be physically dominant at the catch point versus that defensive back. Just keep showing that. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing he has to prove at this point is he's never going to be, uh, you know, he's never going to be Jerry Judy in terms of routing ability, in terms of separation ability. He's never going to be wide, wide open down the football field consistently. But you don't have to be that necessarily to win at the NFL at a high rate. Can you do all the other little things at a, you know, at a consistently high level? That's what that's the tick box he needs to show because uh, can he you know he established himself with a pretty strong ass wide receiver core there for what for USC Tyler Vaughn's uh, Amon Ross St Brown can you be the guy in that offense I, I think that remains to be seen I, I would agree with that one hundred percent I think in continuing to show that he's a great contested catch receiver and very sure handed even when open I think he had, he only think what two drops in his career I think somewhere mm-hmm. around that number yeah. Pittman being a sure handed yeah, I, I, I'm not like I'm pretty sure he's sure handed yeah point. yeah exactly yeah you've yeah. shown enough at this point <laughs> uh, let's go to Saturday slate here Wisconsin at Ohio State a big game which should have been an even bigger game if Wisconsin didn't drop an L to Reggie Corbin and the you know Illinois Illini that hey. was very very surprising. Memorial stadium was rocking i think all, what they were 28 point favorites thousand. or something oh uh, man yeah i mean and at, at lovey smith's beard places, got grayer and it, longer as the game progressed it's I think not he's like just a, getting wiser <laughs> it looked like santa claus by the end of the game like wow like I, I didn't know santa was on the sideline and it's not like you went to nebraska or someone who's like a traditionally strong program gonna have a huge yeah uh, maybe a bad team this year but has like uh the fans are rocking and all mm-hmm. of a sudden like you got in you got down and it was just you couldn't it was so loud you couldn't come back. <laughs> you guys panicked. Memorial Stadium has about ten thousand fans there on a weekly basis. Illinois does. They, no one cares. <laughs> I'm from Champaign, Illinois. No one cared about Illinois football. Uh, I had friends that went to school there. Did not even go to the games. Didn't go to one game in four years. And we're football fans. Uh, so uh, embarrassing for Wisconsin. Very embarrassing. our I. Reggie Corbin yeah. though had a good game in that one. I yeah. do love Reggie Corbin. I kind of liked him going into this year. But let's get back to the program here. Wisconsin at Ohio State. We're going to see. PFF's highest graded pass rusher in the country. And he's it, 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 far and away the highest graded pass rusher in the country. Chase Young go against Cole Van Lannon, who talk, had a little bit of a shaky game this past week against Illinois. Yeah. Now he's going to probably have an even worse game against Chase Young. No <laughs> one has good games against Chase Young. The guy feasts yeah. on people. Yeah. Cole Van Lannon, I think, is in for a rough one. Yeah, Van Lannon, uh, he's just, we talked about it on the early week pod, uh, his problems with his base and pass pro. I think, though, what ends up happening this game is uh, Wisconsin, even if they fall down early, their run pass split is going to be like 75, 85 percent, yeah, yeah, 25, 20 percent pass just because they they really don't have the horses along that offensive line to block the mm-hmm. Ohio State. Not a lot of people do. And maybe no one does in the country. I'm not sure because this is a damn good defensive line. Uh, Chase Young, though, versus Colvin Lynn and the matchup to watch among that group. Let's also bring up Quintez Cephas, a guy yes. who missed the 2018 season with some off-field things. I, you know, not Sexual dive- assault. Exactly. <laughs> not diving Charges. into that a ton, but you, he only had 39 targets in 2017, but earned an 89.2 receiving grade, just one drop on the year. I thought he looked very good after the catch. I liked yep, his explosive beast. ability. And now in this year, an 81.7 receiving grade in 2019, has just two drops this year, one interception, one target. I think Quintez Cephas, I really liked him in 2017. Obviously, with 2018, him sitting yeah. out, kind of forgot him. No one liked him. Fell, no, no one liked him. <laughs> Fell off the radar, really. And now in 2019, he's starting to you know, create some buzz for himself again. Yeah, uh, I think he's a very NFL-ready body at the wide receiver position at about 6'1", 210. Uh, very sudden also, I think. And like you said, good after the catch. Uh, long speed. Nothing special, but I like his ball skills. Five of six in contested situations this year. So a nice test for him uh, and a nice test for the Ohio State cornerbacks. You, you know, you got Jeffrey Okuda there, mm-hmm. uh, the slot cornerback whose name is escaping me right at the moment. 
that I probably should know off the top of my head. Sean Wade, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, th- those two. So it'll be a nice test because he plays from the slot as well, Cephas, at times. So I think that is a nice little matchup where, uh, unfortunately, probably, like I said, probably won't get to see it because they're probably just going to run the ball all day long. Yep. JT. All right, let's go to, let's move forward here. Mississippi State at Texas A&M. I am very much looking forward to this one because I great one. practically fell in love with, well, Borderline went on one knee and asked this guy to marry me after the Ole Miss game. Justin Matabuke looked fantastic against Ole Miss. Yeah. Really exploded in that game. I think he had seven pressures, very high pass risk grade, explosive off the snap. And what I love the most, he won from a zero tech alignment. Yes. With beating centers with speed, with quickness from that alignment is very hard. We saw that with Ed Oliver, who's a freakish athlete of his own, yeah. doing that at Houston and struggling. I think Justin Matabuke really opened my eyes. Like I said, I almost married the guy. He's going against Daryl Williams of Mississippi said, He State. probably wouldn't have said He yes, probably would have said yes, but I mean, good, I yeah. do keep laying the groundwork in the DMs. <laughs> I do keep laying the groundwork. So hey, bring up that matchup between Daryl Williams and Matabuke. So this one's another very it's like a strength versus strength match. Ahmed Bruke, you said his first step, quickness, all there. Darrell Williams, probably the most athletic or the smoothest offensive lineman in the country, in my opinion, or smooth interior offensive lineman in the country in terms of just the dude gets off the snap quickly, climbs to the second level quickly. He can mirror any defensive tackle he wants to and pass pro when he goes up against strength. He's the Garrett Bradbury of uh, offensive linemen in this class. And uh, we've talked about Garrett Bradbury a yeah. lot, but Garrett Bradbury is still a very good offensive lineman prospect. I still believe in him as an NFL player down the line. He just was not strong enough to hold up to a lot. He's a former power. tight end. He got recruited to NC state to play tight end, yeah. packed on a freshman 15 and then some and started playing. Well, yes. Yeah, so he just needs to add more strength to his frame. He's that is Darrell Williams. That's Darrell Williams. Darrell Williams does not. He has just struggled switching the center this year, going up against larger nose tackles. He is not a line of scrimmage mover. He's more of a controller more of a guy who wins with technique and athleticism rather than pure power. And so he goes up against someone like Derek Brown earlier this year and just gets literally just walked back in the backfield. Derek Brown didn't even have a move. Derek Brown ran a straight line. Yeah. And that was him going in the backfield because he does not have the power to hold up. So this one is strength versus strength. I think Williams ultimately, I really like him as a prospect. still. like I said, I still think he's a probably a day two guy uh, in this class but just needs to get stronger. And I think guard might end up being his best position because you're going up against three techs in the NFL. Smaller Quicker, dudes. smaller. Uh, but still, I, I'd like to see him in this matchup. I think he ha- I think he ends up winning this matchup against Mad Weekend. That's a good distinction, though. With the center position, you are more protected even more in a phone booth. We yes. see in PFF's pass protection. You don't have to be a great yeah, athlete. You, you see in P- PFF's pass protection metric, it's harder to allow pressure from the center position than it is guard, and it's harder at tackle than it is. It's more double it, Exactly. Yeah. And then, but at guard, you do see less beefcakes. You know, you're not seeing these monsters yeah. of the middle. You're seeing three techniques and smaller frame guys. So I think that's a good distinction. Let's go keep moving forward here. We're going to talk Cameron Dantzler. A little bit. This hold one. me, hold me closer, Tiny Dantzler. He's going against Kendrick Rogers and Courtney Davis. Dantzler looks fantastic. I think he eats this matchup. I was gonna say, I think that Dantzler in this one really flexes his muscles, even though he doesn't have a ton of muscles. He's only one eighty-five. That's a skinnier corner that we've talked about, but he has the pterodactyl-esque length Ooh. to shut down. Uh, if I if I'm a Mississippi State, I have him press Kendrick Rogers all game. Texas A&M wide receiver. Because that dude, uh, we've talked about it before, I think, on this podcast, he cannot get off press. A lot of people love his highlight reel catchability. Probably going to have like a 40-something inch vertical. The guy can sky, but he is not explosive, not quick off the line of scrimmage. I expect Dantzler to have a game, maybe like a zero catch, two target sort of game in this one. I I just don't think he's going to lose a lot. Talk to me about Courtney a little bit. He's a guy that we haven't brought up a ton, plays for Texas A&M, only two targets, one reception for 15 yards against Ole Miss. But uh, how's this guy? 
I, I'm not a big fan of either of these receivers. I don't think either. Or I don't think Courtney Davis is one who should necessarily declare after this season. Uh, I, I just don't think that uh, you don't see now one. They're playing with Kelamont there, Texas A&M. Uh, give them a little bit of a pass there. Yeah, but I just don't see the downfield explosiveness being able to separate uh, that sort of thing from either of these guys. So uh, unfortunately, they get they've gotten some. I don't want to say hype. There's they're on the draft radar. I foresee uh, Davis being a guy who you know come back to school sort of great. Doing a little name scouting in this next one. Auburn at LSU. Lloyd Cushenberry. I'm mm. all in on that. However, looking at his grade so far this year, he has not really performed up to expectation. He earned an 85.6 pass blocking grade for LSU in 2018. Just a 56.7 pass blocking grade so far with LSU. Still a good matchup to watch because he's going against Derek Brown. And Derek Brown, though he's improved late, we still want to see him continue to be a great passer. So I think this is an opportunity to prove it again. So this is another great matchup because it's a strength for strength sort mm-hmm. of thing. Cushenberry is a phone booth type of center. He is mm-hmm. not he has not handled stunts well this year, has not handled guys with quickness going up against guys with quickness at center position well this season for LSU. But he does not get moved backwards off the line of scrimmage or has not uh, by, you know, the guys he's faced. He's going up against a different little animal this year or this game in Derek Brown, who Derek Brown moves basically everyone off the line of scrimmage. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm not sure how much knows Derek Brown necessarily will be playing this game. I'm hoping for a ton because this is a nice little matchup that we'll get to see for both in terms of, uh, you know, NFL sort of projection. Because while Cushenberry hasn't graded well this year, we have him a fourth round grade. I know uh, friend of the program. Uh, guys whose name is best friend dude. Yeah. sounds like your best friend <laughs> Dane Brugler mm-hmm. has him as a top 50 player on his draft on his latest draft board so Lloyd Cushenberry mm-hmm. is a top 50 player on his latest draft board so there is a lot to like about him only a junior at this point Cushenberry so he could come back to school I, I might think he might come back to school after the year he's having like you said 56.7 pass blocking grades so far but a big test for him. If he wins this against Derek Brown, he could, you know, that's tape that he'll come back to that he could end up declaring after. One this. of the few podcasts that we haven't brought up above average Joe on, but this is a good matchup for him too. Derek Brown, good, good, good Auburn yeah. defense. I think it's going to be fun to watch and, and continue to fun to and watch. And it's Joe also Burrow. nice from for him in terms of Justin Herbert pooped his pants against yeah. Oregon to to put it nicely. Uh, yeah. at the it, end is that nicely? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that nice. You're right. But he threw the ball, you know, 10 yards out the back of the end zone the last mm-hmm. play of the game. Like, uh, what we've talked about, but what is it, what was he thinking? You don't want don't to see know. poop in anybody's but pants. Yeah, as long point. as he doesn't do that, I think he outplays Herbert. Like if he, he you can go back to the tape, it'll be one of those things that both are going to be in the draft this upcoming year. You go back to the tape for both against Auburn, common opponent. Herbert looked not great. I expect Burrow to look a lot better than Herbert did. And that'll be a tick mark in his favor. Let's stay in the SEC. Arkansas at Alabama. Tight end Cheyenne O'Grady. He's a guy that has flashed like some legitimate potential in yes. bursts here. I mean, at the tight end position, I feel like flash is a good worker's production. Is so, you struggle to have consistent production at the tight end position in some, in some college offenses. He's going against Xavier McKinney yeah. and Shaheem Carter. Two great defensive backs for Alabama that mix in the slot, play some safety here and there. I think this is going to be very interesting to see O'Grady. And he, so he has... 359 yards on the season after having 400 last year. And he's actually been missed him. He, he has the Jared Pinkney thing going on too, where he's been missed a ton down the field. He oh. could have well over 500 yards with how many times he's been missed down the football field, wide open for Arkansas this season, especially early on in the year. But I love him after the catch. I think he's one of the best tight ends after the catch in the country, already eight broken tackles on 29 catches. If you'll, You've probably may have seen the highlight against Colorado State when literally the whole Colorado State yes, team yes. was on him mm-hmm. and he breaks it for a touchdown. Uh, I, I really like his game. He might be end up being might end up passing Pinckney on our board when it's all said and done. If Pinckney just keeps, you know, doing Pinckney things this year. But uh, yeah, Cheyenne O'Grady, uh, he's 
get to know the name. Uh, he could qualify as the, you know, the local IPA that you've never heard of later on that, but we've talked about him enough that I don't think it does for the people out there. But I, yeah, I think Shiona Grady easily a top three tight end prospect in this class. When you said he's got the Jared Pinckney thing going on, I thought it was just he was playing poorly. But I guess it's him being missed downfield. <laughs> being missed by QB. So, um, so Shaheem Carter, I think when you look at other draft scouts or like mm-hmm. draft analysts, you're looking at him as a top def- defensive back in this class. It's not a name we brought up a ton, actually. Plays 288 snaps, defensive snaps at slot corner. That's far and away he the, the, the biggest position he yeah. does play there. I think, talk to me about him and, and how, where you're projecting him right now. Uh, he's a very... Uh, football player-y sort of slot mm. cornerback where he kind of kind of like a Taylor rap where it's like he doesn't do anything poorly. Okay. He's going to tackle well. He's going to run. He's going to play run defense extremely well. He's going to do all of the he's going to do the little things well. I'm not sure he's necessarily a playmaker at that position. And also when you are a slot cornerback, uh, that's fine. You can be just you can be solid at that position. But then what are you putting the value on that? Because you're not going to we've seen guys like Mika Fitzpatrick who just played, you know, the exact same position that Carter did try to play outside corner for the Dolphins. It didn't go well when yeah. he was trying to play out there. So you were kind of it's a very different skill set. The slot, it's more similar to a safety than it is to an actual cornerback or I guess mm-hmm. outside cornerback. So where this more comes into the value, what, how do you value a guy who doesn't make a ton of plays on the football and plays the slot? I don't know. I'm not to be sure, fair, good, but he's very good, good coverage in the slot is, is very valuable, yeah. especially as we see offenses more and more run 11 personnel mm-hmm. and target the slot as often they do in the NFL. I think Carter does have a valuable role if yeah. he can play well in slot coverage. I want to also bring up the same question about Xavier McKinney. He's played more of a Jamal Adams, Derwin James type of yeah. role in that he plays everywhere. 139 defensive snaps at bo- in the box, whether it's linebackers, uh, strong safety alignments, slot corner, another 154 defensive snaps, and then free mm-hmm. safety. He's back there deep 142 times this year as well. This is a guy six foot one 200 pounds that is playing everywhere for this defense and is earning good grades so far this year yeah one of the best tacklers in all of college football only two misses on 52 attempts this year for Xavier McKinney Uh, and he's almost like a poor man Jamal Adams in that role I don't think he's the explosive I don't I don't see him taking on blocks the way Jamal Adams did back at LSU in terms of just like he he looked like he could play linebacker even at you know 200 pounds uh, at the NFL level and wouldn't look out of place. That's how good he was in that regard. I don't see that from McKinney, but I see that sort of di- diverse skill set. And I get why people like McKinney. Uh, I, I just think he's sort of a, not as he's more of a tweener than a versatile piece. He's, okay. he's going to do a lot. He, you could put him in a lot of positions. I don't think he's going to do a lot of things uh, extremely well at those positions. Those also. So we're going to go ahead and Michigan Notre Dame. Talk about a big matchup for the alma mater here. I want to talk about the Michigan's mm-hmm. defensive line first, because I think we've not brought that big Michigan's not that good. <laughs> we brought up multiple. I think the Michigan's favorite in this one. Are they not? No, Notre Dame took. They might have opened favor, but Notre Dame's back uh, as the favorites now. Lucky. So. You're lucky. But we talk about this Michigan defensive line a lot. But I think our, of those guys, you got Michael. Dana, Josh Uche, Quiddy Pay. These guys are grading well in PFF system. Yep. Yes, they've done a lot of those high grades against you know cupcakes, as we've said in the past, but are any of these guys, and if so, which one are you seeing as kind of the most prominent or dominant prospect with prospect potential? I think Uche. Mm-hmm. Josh Uche is Is it Uche or Uche? One. I don't know. Let's, Let's just go, go Uche. Uche. Yeah, uh, Uche sounds cooler. I like Uche. Um, Uche, I think, is. Gucci, Uche. I, I think he has the... <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. He has the bend. Uh, and the athleticism to play a little undersized, uh, only listed about 245, uh, I think could come in, could probably get up to 250 at this point. But I do, I do think he has the quicks and the, like I said, the bend to be able to win uh, at the next level. Other guys, I, I don't see Dana being a bender. Uh, 
you know, he's no, he was more of a he was more of a power player who was not explosive enough and powerful enough for that to translate even against power five tackles. And I think we've seen that this year with Dana transferring from Central Michigan. He dominated, dominated, uh, you know, group of five Mac tackles has not done it so far here at Michigan. But Uche, I think, is the best one of that group. And and this is a good test for uh, Liam Eichenberg against Uche because I've worried about Eichenberg's uh, lateral agility. Uh, I just don't see him having that uh, quick feet that you want to hold up a tackle that you would draft, you know, first, second, third type around, even though he's gotten uh, a good deal. Hype was a, you know, four was a high four star. Some services had him as a five star coming out uh, as a recruit and a bit of multi-year starter for Notre Dame, but I don't necessarily see it. We saw it against Charles Snowden, the Virginia edge uh, who just, you know, just with an inside move, no necessarily hand usage just got past Eichenberg because Eichenberg didn't have the foot speed to mirror. So that's the biggest question mark for me. Uchi against Eichenberg will be a good matchup to watch. In, in that same game, though, we have Donovan Peoples-Jones, DPJ, going against Tony Pride Jr., TPJ. And I think this is a matchup to watch for more than just, OTP. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But Tony Pride, a track star, but struggles with ball, ball skills, in, in your opinion and my opinion. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think it's very, I feel like it's yeah. very similar. I think this is a guy that, you know, creates, um, moves well downfield, is a very good athlete, came as a high-star recruit. What are you, what are you seeing in this matchup? That's, so that's the thing. Is Donovan Peoples-Jones... Uh, I think will test well athletically, but if for some reason or another, his I don't I don't see creativity of setting up defensive backs to get open down the football field. Uh, I just have not, and, and it's borne out in the stats. I mean, he's only averaging ten yards per catch, a little over ten yards per catch this year. He's not been a downfield threat. One catch so far this season has gone for twenty over twenty yards. He's not. Wow. He's been a underneath possession guy at six two two oh eight. He's that's been him in his entire career even though i think you know he was a five-star coming out of high school was uh billed as a fantastic athlete we've never quite seen it and shea patterson uh for all his you know shortcomings i don't think he's one who's going to not throw down the football field he has no real problem with that so uh down people's jones it, this is probably not a great matchup for him it's one where i want to see uh for on the other side pride uh, make plays on those back shoulder throws make plays in those contested situations because i think he'll be able to stick in people's jones hip pocket uh, but will he be able to make plays on the football? Because that's people's Jones sort of bread and butter is the you know more possession intermediate route tree. Three more Saturday games we want to go over before we dive into our draft specials and talk about some rookies in the NFL. Missouri at Kentucky, Logan Sternberg or Stenberg against Jordan Elliott. Elliott, I like this guy. Very yes. good interior pass rusher for Missouri. He also plays very well against the run. Six foot four, three hundred plus pounds. He's had a very good start to this year, and I really do like him in this defensive tackle class. Yeah, this will be a nice uh, little draft matchup. Elliott now ninety one point two pass rushing grade, ninety point three run defense grade. I believe he's the only defensive tackle in the country right now with ninety plus in both double run 90s? defense and pass rushing. Uh, I think it's me more excited than a couple <laughs> double nineties. And he's going up against Stenberg, who uh, I think has only allowed one pressure this year so far. Still. The guard for Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's sort of transitioned to wide receiver-led offense where they don't pass a lot. Yeah. So this would be more of a run game matchup. But the big thing for me is, can Stenberg stop committing penalties? The dude oh, has yeah, committed you're right. 10 penalties already on the season uh, through seven games. Committed 10 penalties last year. This might be a you know a little Garrett Bowles situation on our hands where uh, the dude's just going to keep don't committing put penalties. T- don't put no, that on him. No, I know. I, I, but Garrett Bowles led the nation in penalties last year at Utah. 
and has basically been top five, top mm-hmm. ten among O linemen every single year of his career. He holds his own. <laughs> holds. Oh, come on. It was kind of good. I thought it was okay. Laugh track, but hit it. We could have used it. Uh, yeah. California at Utah. Speaking of Utah, Tyler Huntley, this quarterback. I think he's an interesting prospect with with some athleticism. Yes. I think you don't put him in the conversation with you know, better pocket passers like Joe Burrow and them, but talk to me about Huntley. So he had a 91.1 grade going into last week's game against Arizona State. Really did not look the part last week against Arizona State through I, we actually broke down me and Bruce Gradkowski on the YouTube channel. I was about to bring to it up. Talk it to me about your relationship with Bruce <laughs> and how that's developing. <laughs> Bruce is guiding me through this quarterback journey right? that we're on. I sit so a little little pause here. I sit across from Bruce when he does come into the office. He works from home a lot, still lives out there in Toledo. Yeah. Insight out of his ear, just constantly providing knowledge over there. We order Chipotle together. Bruce Gradkowski Venmoed me for Chipotle. I never thought I'd be that in this spot, but that's where we're at right this now. This was like your your DM stories, but in real life. In real life, yeah. yeah. So when I was growing up, I'm from Oakland. Season tickets to Oakland Raiders game. Mm-hmm. Bruce Gradkowski, that game against the Steelers, it was in Pittsburgh, so I wasn't there. But it was arguably one of the best childhood memories I had because <laughs> they came back and won that game. One of the first times he was hired, we watched that game together on the TV, and it was surreal. And now he's Venmoing me for Chipotle. It's fantastic. The Bruce Gradkowski experience at PFF <laughs> is fantastic. Also, stuff that we can't really bring up on the podcast, but his stories about Jamarcus Russell... And that Oakland Raiders team are absolutely fantastic. Basically everything you've heard, Mm -hmm. but worse. Yeah. Think about all the negative things you heard about Jamarcus Russell and then put an exclamation point after (laughs) them because it legitimately happened. And Bruce Gretkowski was there watching it and witnessing it. So back to Tyler Huntley, though. I know you and Bruce are talking about Yeah, He's kind of got a weak arm. Uh, That's going to limit him, but he's very athletic. I I mean, he's on the probably Deshaun Watson-esque in terms of athlete and where he can create outside the pocket. He can create in terms of the run game. He can be an add-on in that regard. He's not, he's not going to be Lamar Jackson. He's not Kyler Murray. That's a little probably a different level, different tier of quarterback runners, but he will hold his own as a runner. So I think he's, his spot will be, I think he'll get drafted in the NFL late round, but he'll be like a backup to a guy like Sean Watson. He'll be a backup to like a guy. Trace McSorley like, type. Yeah. Like, like that sort of thing. Uh, because he, for the most part, had been making good decisions with the football. Only one turnover play heading into the Arizona state game, two really bad decisions, a slam that he just stared down. Uh, threw it right to the You're into 28.8 passing rate. It was game. ugly. Uh, one one completion past uh, the sticks. But he is, <laughs> he's been good in terms of take when to take chances with the football down the field. And I think that's what you want to see from a guy who can use his legs, uh, can escape, is are they not making the mistakes with the football down the football field? Or instead of when it's, oh, this is a little risky situation, instead of making that throw, break the pocket, get some yards on your own as a runner. That adds value to an offense. So I think Tyler Huntley has a future in the NFL, but uh, this will be a nice little test for him because, again, Cal's Arizona defense State, is no yeah, Cal's got a good defense. Arizona State has a good defense. Uh, didn't happen against Arizona State, but if you can do it against Cal, maybe we can maybe we can talk a little bit more. And in this game, you speak of that Cal defense, you know who we also have in this one? Our guy, Evan yes. Weaver. He's a guy, if you go back and watch the podcast after. Evan Weaver trying to track down Tyler Huntley. <laughs> it would be fantastic. Will be a fun, but go, fun go back and listen to the episode after College Football Week 5. We throw up the uh, Evan Weaver interview where he tells a, tells a um, reporter who asked him like how the game went or something like that. Is, I don't know. You watch the game. You tell me. Yeah. And then he finishes a very angry interview with... Uh, go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> it's fantastic. Evan so. Weaver, football guy. He's the guy that has the red crease on his head. Helmet like after like the, like after the first <laughs> quarter somehow is one too tight. Evan Weaver though definitely a guy he'll be playing with blood on his face mm-hmm. at some point. Yes, 
in One, the near future. 100%. Yeah. And enjoying it. Like yeah. eating it off. Of, yeah, I like that. Wazoo at Oregon. This is going to be our last preview of this little segment here. Anthony Gordon, he's putting up big numbers. We talked about it a little bit when we went into big time throws. People are wanting to fall in love with this kid because mustache Minshew's lighting up the NFL. Yeah. Talk to me about Anthony Gordon. Give me, the, give me the skinny. But yeah, the last time he played... You know, a very good defense. So against Oregon, Oregon's good defense. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Diamondor Lenoir, we've talked about him. Troy Dye, the linebacker, we haven't talked much about him, but he's very good uh, in coverage as well. So this is a good pass defense. Last time he faced a very good pass defense, Utah, uh, things did not go well. That was the game he had something like seven turnover where he plays. Uh, like only seven picks on the year. So the stats look nice, but we talked about how the turnover where they throws, he does is what leading the nation second. Most no, the so nation. Somewhere up bad. there. So he has 18 big time throws, 17. 17 turnover worthy plays okay. to compare Tyler Johnston, the UAB small hands has 26 big time throws and 17 turnover worthy okay. plays. So, so yeah. I think you'd like to, if you are going to be, you know, that yeah. risk, you know, risky, you're going to need to make some more big plays similar to what Tyler yeah. Johnston. And doing so this will be a nice in terms of going up against a real defense. Can you not just, uh, to use the term we used earlier, poop your pants. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, can we, can we actually At see any you? point in any college football game, if you poop your pants, <laughs> it, it's going to have a negative effect on your draft stock. I think that's something yes. we just need to be clear about. Um, in that same game, we got a nice little matchup here. My guy, Aesop Winston Jr., a guy that I bring up constantly on this podcast because Renner hates it, mm-hmm. but he will be going against Diamador Lenoir, a guy who plays a ton of outside corner, a ton of press at Oregon. We saw what Aesop did to Darnay Holmes in press. I'm predicting a similar buttery matchup where he sauces this guy at the line. Diamador finds a way to return to school and Aesop goes into the NFL and just dominates. That's what I'm seeing here, Mike. So yeah, and they'll match up. I mean, uh, Lenoir, I'm pretty sure plays uh, exclusively the boundary there. So mm-hmm. they'll, they'll hit each other a good deal. Probably, you know, about half the snaps that they play. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think Diameter holds his own. I'm just no, going to say it, gosh. but you can go ahead We'll see. We'll just have to connect the Tuesday podcast where we review the college football and we NFL need get, slate. We need to get in with, uh, we need to contact the government to find out if there's any other person ever named Aesop yes, that's been born do. in the United yes. States. EASOP. 100%. And if Besides there hasn't been, it's going to be my, my his, son's first. Oh, because he is an Aesop yeah. Winston Jr. <laughs> True. His dad is definitely named Aesop. Um, let's go to our draft specials. That's going to conclude our kind of previewing the college football slate. Let's get into the NFL. It's what everyone tunes in this podcast for. Well, yeah. actually, I don't really know that. I think people like college football prospects right now, but they also like the rookies. Let's get into that's Devlin. Why, that's the whole point yeah, of the podcast. The whole so point you, of the podcast. I would hope you like both. I hope you like both. Two for one. I mean, it's two yeah. for one. Um, let's go into Devlin Duck Hodges. He got the nickname Duck because he makes a good duck call or something. I saw that entire package on oh, Sunday yeah. Night you, Football. I was <laughs> say, I watched the whole video of him doing the duck call. Was it, it was fantastic? Pretty, it was a pretty damn good Really? Duck Can call. you try one for us? Uh, no. Okay, cool. You, have, uh, you need the duck call thing. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't really know how it goes. Okay, Devlin Duck Hodges, 57.9 passing grade. No, no, on the year. And, and, but he was thrown to the wolves. I, 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 don't yes. think, I don't think it was in a, a great situation to really have a ton of success in Pittsburgh. No, but at the same time, he kind of was just the chances he was. We, we talk a lot about the quarterback position. Take good chances with the football down the football field. Uh, so when you have a one on one, that's a good chance. When, mm-hmm. when you have a two on one or when you're two outside the pocket one. and you're throwing back late, those are bad chances. Mm. We saw him take bad chances with the football down the football field. That's, so that's not super encouraging. Again, two, super small sample size. I think he has like 30 something dropbacks uh, so far in his entire career. Uh, and was an undrafted free agent rookie. It, it, it was not going to go well for him, but there were some nice things. There were some nice, uh, his accuracy is pretty good at this point. The ball placement on the underneath intermediate range was pretty good. Uh, I'm going to say that. That's a, probably the biggest positive you can take away from his performance so far. But yeah, still like TBD. Uh, for for UDFA, it wasn't uh, Nathan Peterson. Mm-hmm. Peterman, so yeah, there, that's... 
That's He'll be relieved this week, though. Mason Rudolph apparently mm-hmm. is supposed to be coming back, even though you saw that report. I don't know if you saw the article. He doesn't remember the hit at all. He's coming back. I would hope not. Uh, yeah, that I was mean, that's rough. But and he's going against. At I wouldn't home, want to. Fourteen point favorites over the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. I think that you know Mason Rudolph, De- De- Devlin Duck Hodges gets a little time off. Mason Rudolph comes in, should be able to dice Good. up a little South Beach defense there. Let's go to the offensive line. Jacksonville Jaguars have tried it out. Jawan Taylor at right tackle this entire year, and it's been rough. Very rough. Trial by fire. He's allowed six sacks so far this year. Has a pretty low pass blocking grade. Uh, what, what's your take on this? I was going to say, so, so it, it was rough for a little bit. He faced some good pass rushes. He, four of those sacks came against Von Miller and Cameron Jordan. So he. And Cameron Jordan against a rookie offensive tackle of, yeah. like Juwan Taylor is going to feast. Yeah, a 21 year old guy. He's still developing his body at this point. Still needed to, you know, add some strength to his frame. Cameron Jordan just got underneath him, forklifted him a couple times for a couple sacks. That's going to happen. Yeah, that's going to happen to any rookie offensive tackle. But I think I, what I saw this past week against Cincinnati, against a more reasonable pass rushing, a more reasonable sort of matchup in terms of this is what you're probably going to see uh, 12 weeks out of the year. You'll see four elite pass rushers. Uh, but most weeks you'll just see kind of guys in mm-hmm. the NFL. Went up against Cincinnati Bengals, and I thought he more than held his own in pass protection. Uh, against uh, Hubbard, Sam Hubbard there mm-hmm. for the Cincinnati Bengals, most of the snaps there. So I like what I saw from him. Gets out of his sets really quickly, has a good pop in his hands. So I do think that he has had a very encouraging start for a second-round tackle. You know, the second-round tackles, if you get, if you thought a guy would play as well as he did, that's so far at this point where he has a 66.1 pass Going against grade. the competition he has. Yes, I think you would have drafted him higher. I really? think you would have drafted him higher than he. And we've talked about in the past too, with specifically with offensive line coming in as a rookie, as young as he is, twenty-one years old. Huh. It's a slow burn. Okay, it yes. takes some time to really come out and, and have success. I mean, yeah. I, you have like Colton Miller, a rookie, who's already taken a step forward. He's still not mm-hmm. fantastic, but Colton Miller has even progressed slightly. Yeah. Even some of the worst offensive tackles as rookies take steps forward. And a guy that needs a step forward sooner rather than later. We're going to go to Miami Dolphins guard. Michael Dieter has been dreadful these past four weeks in pass protection. He's allowed 18 total pressures on the year. You look at that game against Dallas, Malik Collins and yeah. company. So he got 5.7 <laughs> pass blocking grade. Oh, man. He got screwed a little bit in that Dallas game because they flipped him to left tackle mid-game because oh. of the injury. And that's just never going to end well. Uh, was, <laughs> was a left tackle, I guess, at Wisconsin at times. Played center, left tackle, guard there for the Badgers, but the worrisome thing for me, besides the fact that he has a 37.7 overall grade, is that he's just getting overpowered. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a Juwan Taylor situation where he's 21 years old. This guy was a redshirt senior coming out. He had five years to develop. He's 23 years old already. You're, you're not going to get much stronger at mm-hmm. this point. And yeah. so he has the balance concerns that we had noted coming out, but he also has the He's just getting overpowered by guys who probably shouldn't get overpowered. And Jordan Phillips this last week against the Bills was, you know, bull rushing him in the backfield. Jordan Phillips not bull rushed a lot of players over the course of his career. So that to me, you're not going to fix lack of power at this point in your career when you're 23 years old. That's just going to stick with you. It's not a weight and room you, thing. And if you don't, it's not like an offseason beef up kind of thing. Well, I mean, go ahead, do that. Try. Not a lot of guys. Yeah, not <laughs> not a lot of guys. It's just difficult if you don't have a lot of guys. Just you're capped when you're uh, at that sort of age. You're not going to put on a ton more strength to be able to hold up in the NFL. So that to me is the most worrisome thing for him because there's other there's other issues, but that one I think is the most difficult that I'm just not sure you're going to fix. Staying in the trenches here, first-round offensive tackle, Kayla McGarry, has had a little bit of a slow start mm-hmm. for Atlanta, I think. Talk, talk to me about what you've seen from him. Are there big, or They're not as big concerns as Michael Dieter, but he has not had success. Yeah, so he is, I think, something like the most. He has the 
what we track, we call them blocks defeated. It's when you lose and uh, doesn't result in the pressure, a sack, a hit, a hurry. He has the most in the NFL this year because Matt Ryan quick release gets the ball out. Not really uh, protected really by his pressure. quarterback. Yeah, protected by the quarterback there. A good deal. But he's just he's been beaten to the outside a ton. The outside uh, is not necessarily. I'm not sure it's as fixable as the inside move. You can sort of sit, sit uh, tighter in your pass sets on inside moves. And, you know, you can have help to the inside, but he's been beaten to the outside. And it, to me, it's more of a flexibility thing. He's super tall and, and he sits so high in his pass sets at six foot eight. that He just hasn't been able to bend and get to guys trying to come around the edge on him. And that's a little worrisome. It's not been great for him right out the gate. Again, it's, it's never going to be great for a lot of, you know, rookie offensive linemen, but I think he's been definitely outplayed and looks, uh, Definitely, I played by a guy like Juwan Taylor at this point. I'd be, I'd ra- much rather have Taylor and how he's played, and you know, going forward than McGarry at this point. McGarry was taking it number thirty-one overall. Taylor thirty-five, yeah. close and where they were. Even though one was a first-round pick, the other one a second. Let's go. We're again staying in the trenches, hammering offensive line here, specifically rookies we have not talked about on previous podcasts. Cody Ford of Buffalo, the second-round pick, drafted number thirty-eight. These guys all drafted pretty close together. Uh-huh. He coming off a pretty good game against Miami, earned a seventy-five point seven pass blocking grade there. But in games prior, he has shown some weaknesses. Yeah, I just think he should kick inside at this point. I, I thought he'd try him at tackle, uh, but he just can't get he can't get depth quickly enough. He's I mean six three three twenty nine. He's a big ass dude. Mm-hmm. He's built like a guard. I mean that's a lot of guards are that size. Six three three twenty nine. He wow. just can't get out of his stance and get enough depth and then be able to reset and hold up to a bull rush. So he's that big of a guy and has been getting bull rush and walked back in in the pocket just because he's you know almost out of control coming out of his stance. Uh, I'm not sure you fix that. That's more just like an athleticism thing. Either you can get depth or you can't at that size. So I think ultimately, uh, I, I think you'll end up moving inside. 49.6 pass blocking grade so far this year. I think he moves kicks inside the guard. And I think he can hold up well this year because he's looked good in the run game in a phone booth, that those sort of stuff. He's been better in that regard. But I, I do think that pass blocking on the edge is just not going to be his thing. Checking in on Preston Williams, going back to Miami. This guy that kind of lit the preseason on fire. People really got excited about this guy. And to give a little bit of his background, he's always been a very athletic, high-profile dude. Six foot four, 210 pounds. I think was a five-star recruit that originally committed to Tennessee, but then had to move on from that program, go to Colorado State. I want to one little yeah, story. I mean, he, he was like a third-round type of prospect if you yes. didn't have his off-field stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. so I want to talk a little bit about the off-field stuff. So when I was diving into his background for last year's draft, this guy was committed to Tennessee, fully committed to Tennessee. He takes an Auburn um, visit or official mm-hmm. visit or whatever it was. He goes to Auburn with other recruits, fully decked out in that burn orange to Tennessee, like just top to bottom. I think he had a hat, mm-hmm. pants, all of it, fully Tennessee. And apparently on the visit, he was recruiting some of the other Auburn like recruits on the visit to go to Tennessee. They had to kick him out from the visit early because he was like, they were saying, coaches were saying he uh, didn't want to be there, was asking kids to join him at Tennessee. Uh, are you kidding me? That's, that's insane. Preston Williams, just to give you an idea on some of that background, I think there was, he was also flagged for potentially cheating on the ACT. Then he goes, mm-hmm. you know, goes to Colorado State, breaks all of Colorado State's, not all, but a lot of Colorado State's track records. He, was, he did like Haddon High Hurdled. Or, oh no, long jump since high school, goes to Colorado State, breaks that record pretty quickly here. This guy's a freakish athlete on the field, a premier talent. Right now, in Miami, kind of up and down, had a good preseason. Where are you seeing with him? Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's kind of a raw in terms of route running ability, so but raw. you see it. You see the, uh, you know, he's made some crazy catches there for the Dolphins so far this season. The athleticism is very much there. But yeah, I, I think he's sort of just a guy who, 
needs everyone knew he had the talent Mm -hmm. was he going to make the strides was he going to make the necessary improvements was he going to put in the work was he not going to have off-field issues that's the thing that remains to be seen from him so we've seen the talent it's there is he going to continue to get better uh again it's like that that's what remains to be seen he's kind of almost in that antonio callaway sort of group of he's it's all there if you want it to be if he wants to put in the work that's all that's the only thing we need to see from. So this, you know, an updating on him right now isn't that super valuable. Everyone knew he was going to be, uh, not necessarily going to be, uh, but there's been no off-field issues yet. Everyone knows the talent is there. It's just, is it going to be there in a year, two mm-hmm. years? Is it going to improve? That's what we want to see. And, and going back to his last year at Colorado State, dude had a ton of volume. Was targeted, I think, over 130 times there. Had good production. I, again, I think you have to hammer home that this guy's potential is very high. Reaching it is a different question. Reaching yeah. it is a different skill set. Being committed to get better and learn the playbook even further and all those things. Mm-hmm. It takes off-field commitment. It takes mental commitment to get better as a player when you do have all the tools like Preston Williams does. Another guy with a ton of tools who I, who has flashed good production so far for the Kansas City Chiefs, Miko Hardman. To dive in a little bit what we kind of thought about him as a prospect, very explosive, fast off the line of scrimmage, not a polished route runner, still didn't see you know probably enough one-on-ones. What are you seeing from Nicole? Uh, yeah, and, and then the other big thing was it, I did not love in terms of contested situations. Oh, he was yeah. never going to, if you're going to run him on a vertical from the outside, uh, and DB's there at all. I don't think he's going to be. So he needs needs a free release. Needs to be uh, needs a guy like I said. Needs free release. Needs to be clean off the line of scrimmage. Needs to be clean down the football field. But if you give that to him, which Kansas City's offense is great at giving that to him and great at giving that to receivers, he is dynamic. And mm-hmm. he's been very dynamic with the ball in his hands. Has made some big plays there for. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, so it's still kind of a gimmicky, gimmicky. player. Definitely a gimmicky there's still, still a little bit, but that was, Tyreek Hill is still a gimmicky player his rookie year, so I think there's room to develop here, but you love what he can do with the ball in his hands. You love what he can do from a speed perspective. That always just challenges guys have to account for a guy who can run a 4-3 defense, have mm-hmm. to account for that. So uh, I'm encouraged by what I've seen from him so far in terms of uh, I think he doesn't have a single drop on the year, uh, if I'm right, that, which is like... A couple double catches. Yeah, a couple double catches, but if you haven't dropped the ball, you haven't dropped the ball. So I, I think that is uh, oh, so we're one drop on the season, one drop on 19. And I was worried about his hands, ball skills, but tracking the ball down the football field, but it's made a nice few catches down the field to where uh, I'm I'm higher on him than I was coming out. I think we had him as a late third. He went in the second. Uh, I feel like he's uh, impressed me more than I thought uh, I'd see from him, but also a very good situation. But, he's going to win I'll, more in KC than he would in say, Miami's offense. I'll say this. With Nicole Hardman, I feel like that Tyreek Hill comparison is, is a little bit lazy for the reason yeah, you brought exactly. up. Yeah. The contested catchability. I think Tyreek Hill is surprisingly good in contested catch oh, situations, yeah. has a great can, uh, catch radius, and can mm-hmm. go get balls when covered and when blanketed. You saw that against Houston a few weeks ago when he goes and saves Patrick Mahomes from a bad pass in tight coverage and makes that play. I think with Nicole Hardman, he's never really shown that ability. What mm-hmm. he has shown is some of the other stuff Tyreek Hill does, like blow people away with his speed and explosiveness. But again, yeah. I remember when he was drafted, it's like, Tyreek Hill's gone. Like, this is the new Tyreek. I just did not think he was even close to having that same ability, same no. rounded skill set. Um, another receiver, Arizona Cardinals, Keyshawn Johnson. This guy got a ton of love in the preseason by the Arizona Cardinals coaching staff. I mean, this guy, they were like, we drafted Andy Isabel in the second round. Keyshawn Johnson, we're ready. Yeah. yeah, we're ready to take Keyshawn Johnson over him. And, and one of five on contested targets <laughs> has, yeah. has, has, has I, I don't think, has impressed as much as Arizona was hyping him up. No. I mean, so he's had 33 targets on the year. Only two have gone for 15 or more yards. Oh, like, wow. He's just not been, he's kind of just been like just a guy. Like mm-hmm. it, He has just not been anything sort of special. I, like he's, he's fairly good uh, at getting off the line of scrimmage, but he does not have speed to challenge down the football field. He's just a slower 
wide receiver. And then if you're a slower, bigger wide receiver, you got to make those test catches only one, like I said, only one of five in those situations. So after all the hype, there's not a ton to get excited about at this point. I mean, only 151 yards on the year, less than 10 yards a catch at this point. It's, it's not good. That's not great. Alabama tight end uh, or former Alabama tight end Irv Smith went to the Minnesota Vikings in the second round. He's played a ton of snaps for this team because they run so much 12 personnel with Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, and a ton him. of snaps at, for being a second tight end. Yeah, 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 yeah. For being a second tight end, a ton of snaps. However, not a ton of opportunities. Only 14 yeah. targets, 12 receptions. He's impressed when given the opportunity, but he's still not a, a producer in that, that offense. To be fair, neither was Stefan Diggs to start the year or Adam Thielen. They didn't throw the ball a yeah. ton. I think what we've seen, he's made the most of his opportunities, or at least some of the most of his opportunities. I want to see more opportunities to kind of start to really get where yeah, he's at. Yeah, I mean, he's just far more dynamic than mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph. I think he's only like 21 years old. He's he, very he young. Needs, he's impressed me in terms of receiving build. He needs to be on the football field more at this point. I I think for the Minnesota Vikings, like he just prevents far more from a matchup perspective that's worrisome. Than Kyle uh, Rudolph? Yeah. And, he and looks like been, he's lost a step, by the way. Kyle Rudolph looks slow. He never really had a step. <laughs> I mean, he, he ran like a 4.8 or something coming out. So, And he's also been not a liability in run blocking. At 6'2", 242, he has more than held his own. 67.5 run blocking grade for a team that, I mean, he's been on the field almost as many run blocking snaps as pass blocking snaps. So that, I think, is a really encouraging start for his career for Irv Smith here, a guy who... It kind of panned the picks in the second round. It's like, you know, we have bigger needs than a second tight end at number 50 overall, but I think he has exceeded uh, expectations. I think he's, you know, is very well in line for more snaps going forward. Staying in Minnesota, Alexander Madison backing up a very good Dalvin Cook this year has had I'm some just, highlight plays. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like take a step back. You just go ahead. You go go ahead for your boy. This I do. Is, I do like Alexander guy. Madison a lot. I liked him a lot going in to the NFL draft. I, I highlighted him as you know, I remember you had me. You're saying, hey, can you look at these like group of running backs in the pre-draft process? And I yeah. dove into these guys. And Alexander Madison was one of my favorites of the group. You gave me kind of some day two, day three mm-hmm. names. I think Alexander Madison, what I love, wanted to get better. I interviewed the guy. Wanted to get better. Very smart kid. I think he was bilingual by the like by fifth grade, and like really understood. When I talked to him, I was like, what role do you see yourself in the NFL? He said, I know the NFL doesn't have these bell cow backs anymore. I need to do everything and contribute on any phase of the game. Passing, or receiving, pass blocking, rushing, and I think he's shown so far this year that he can it can contribute in positive ways when he is backing up Dalvin Cook. Has 12 first down runs, 11 runs of 10 or more yards, and forced 10 missed tackles in limited opportunities. I think Madison looks very good and has played well to start, especially for a third-round pick. And I think he's just scratching the surface as well. You give him more opportunities behind that offensive line, I think he gets better. The one thing I'll say about him is I've been watching uh, Vikings game, uh, and I've I've said, oh, that was a nice run by Dalvin Cook. And it wasn't. It was Alex exactly. Madison. They so do all the highest compliment so, you can So hear me out on this. I have a theory. Dalvin Cook, Mike Boone... And Alexander Madison all look very <laughs> similar in uniform when when you're on, when you can't see yes. the numbers straight. And I think they wear similar numbers as well. I get confused just as much as you. Know, I think for the defense, they're not having as much fun either. I think and I, I think there's a similar theory in the Eagles. Zach Zach Ertz and Gal- Dallas Goder look very similar, similar have an yeah. 86 and an 88. That can't be easy for defenses <laughs> to immediately diagnose who which guy yeah. it is. But um, it's interesting. But Alexander Madison I think that's has untapped, looked like Dalvin Cook. That's in, an untapped resource to make your font just unreadable. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just like they all look the same. Well, who is that? I don't know. Yeah. And I think so, some some Eagles receivers, some Eagles tight ends, other tight ends, the, those numbers, if they look similar, they're just trying to catch the defense off guard. But Madison has looked good. Another backup running back that looks good and probably should be starting, and they should have yeah. moved on from Zeke Elliott, not paid him $90 million. <laughs> Tony Pollard of Memphis, he's a guy who played majority slot receiver at Memphis in the yeah. year prior because of Daryl Henderson being there. Mm-hmm. But they're putting him in traditional running back sets, and he's having success. He looks explosive, very elusive. I love that run that he had this past week. I think he's a guy that 
if they if they let Ezekiel Elliott hold out, like Melvin Gordon in the Los Angeles, I think you do have the same success as they've had to start this year. Yes, uh, I would hundred. Yes, I, yes. I would agree one hundred percent with that. I mean, he is twelve broken tackles on forty five attempts so far this year, and three point eight four yards after contact per attempt. That's very good. I mean, those are ridiculously good numbers. He is. There's not a lot of reason to believe in terms of his athleticism, his production over at Memphis, that he would not have been as equal, like equal or better than what we've seen from Zico Elliott. Zico only 19 broken tackles on 135 attempts. That's always been Zico Elliott though. We've wrote pieces in the past because people are, tackles, yeah. are like yelling at our running back rates, but the dude doesn't break tackles at the same rate as other players in the NFL. Yeah. And, and he doesn't have to with the offensive line he's had in the past. Zico only one carry over 20 yards this year. Pollard only one carry over 20 yards this year. Way oh, less opportunities. Yeah. I mean, to pay... Ezekiel Elliott, as much as they did, and be con- and committed to him as long as they are, is incredible, yeah. considering how replaceable the position is and how you already brought in a guy like Tony Pollard who could do the same things as Ezekiel Elliott can. And I think Pollard's a better pass-catching back, too. He has experience running routes yes. away from the traditional running back alignment. I'm hammering home Tony Pollard and Alexander Masson, though I think Cook should be starting in Minnesota. Yes, Dalvin Cook we can agree legit. on that. Yeah. But he also is ranked inside the top five in PFF's elusive rating, inside the top five in rushing grade, because he creates yards for himself. Yeah. I feel like I find myself saying that a lot on like random uh, radio hits and things like that. They're asking about running backs and, and how they add value. It's when you can create yards for yourself, by yourself, with a- yards after contact and force missed tackles, not dependent on offensive line and mm-hmm. scheme. Um, that's going to do it for our draft specials from the NFL, the rookies. We're going to dive into our micro. We'll group. do defense next week. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So that, that was all, all offensive players, all rookies that we kind of haven't talked about a ton. But next week, Tuesday, tune in. We're going to be talking about some of the defensive players, defensive rookies specifically in the NFL that we haven't brought up on the podcast, but want to kind of level set. Which we'll probably be, do it Thursday, actually. Thursday? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We we'll do it Thursday. Recap, I mean, right. I, you're, you're running the show guest now. All right. Whatever. Maybe we should switch seats. Anyway, um, we'll talk about those guys Thursday and we'll be through eight weeks of football. Mm-hmm. We're halfway point of mm-hmm. the NFL. So it'll be interesting. Micro brew segment time. This is a Let's small go. school prospect. You probably haven't heard about it on that is grading well in the PFF system or has at least flashed some potential in the PFF system. Talk to me about Liberty wide receiver. Liberty. Where is Liberty? First start me with that. Where is Liberty? I don't know. I don't even know. Either. Northeast <laughs> somewhere I'm guessing. So Liberty wide receiver Antonio Gandhi Golden like name scouting feels to like, a wait, T. Liberty it feels like it should be in Philadelphia, right? Oh yeah. Okay. I'll look into Liberty. Okay. You tell me about this guy Gandhi Golden. All right. Antonio Gandhi Golden. 6'4", 220. Already big body receiver array that goes in your head. And he has, uh, I was impressed with his releases off the line of scrimmage. He's a little quicker, more sudden than I expected right out the gate. Now his long speed, I think leaves a little bit to be desired that 20, he averaged, he's averaging 20.3 yards per catch this year. I think it's a little bit fake in terms of Liberty. Just this is their first year as an FBS school. Well, they were like provisionary FBS in 2018, full FBS this year, but they still basically just play all FCS schools as a FBS independent. So not great competition, but you go back and watch Syracuse game where he went for 119 yards. Uh, I think his releases offline scrimmage in that game against Syracuse corners, not exceptional, but there's still FBS corners. I think we're pretty impressive uh, for a larger wide receiver. What I've seen from him, I like more than a guy like even Colin Johnson at Texas, oh, wow. which high praise. Uh, I'm not. What about even, even more than Isaiah Hodgins too? That's another yeah, guy more than great. Isaiah Hodgins as so, well. So this guy is an interesting Little prospect. If you are a draft Not a little prospect. He's huge. He's 6'4", 220. You can probably kill me with his bare hands if you want to. <laughs> but that, uh, I think Antonio Gandy-Golden, 
probably a day could be a day two guy. Name rolls off the tongue as well. Antonio Gandy Golden is fantastic. Uh, one, Name's Liberty is yeah. located in Lynchburg, Virginia. Two, oh, if you I'm are so a, close. if you are a draft pundit, I would definitely recommend turning on the tape if you can find Liberty tape. <laughs> I don't know if they, those get posted to YouTube or not. Yeah. Then we're gonna bring up Khalil Mack's little brother. Plays at Buffalo, wears 52, Ladarius Mack. Bring him up because this past week earned a very high grade in PFF system going against schools eluding me. It was not a good school, but uh, Akron. Akron. It was Akron. It goes against Akron. Showed some nice – I like his hands a little bit. I I don't think he's the same level of athlete as Khalil Mack. I think you notice that almost immediately, but no one really is. Like, what is it, always Von Miller? Yeah, exactly. Um, But with Ladarius Mack, he did have a nice spin move against Akron. Look, find that play. I don't know if that one's on YouTube either, but find that play. Dude rips the right tackle. By the time he's sacking the quarterback, the uh, right tackle's on his hands and knees facing the opposite end zone. Just I think he's crying. You can't tell on the All-22, but I do think he's crying. Like Darius Mack, I, I think it was the first time I watched a full game of him, and I was very impressed with I feel like it was there was some polish there I wasn't expecting from Buffalo, a guy in a Buffalo uniform. Yeah, he's still not great, though. It's a prospect. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He's still kind of like, we're wow. talking about his prospects. He's mm-hmm. still, I don't think he's going to play edge at 6'1", 240. No. He looks small, ball. too. He looks and, small. Yeah, he does. Uh, and he's, like you said, not near the athletes. I will say this, though. His face looks a lot like Cleo Max. They do. So, and he wears 52, which like... I feel you have to factor you in. You can't really point. throw 52 on if you're not going to live up to if you're not going to play like Khalil man I think I think I would have to agree with you there all right last segment of the podcast this has been fantastic by the way I'm really really looking forward to the end here it's a local IPA this is going to be from a bigger school a power five school a sleeper maybe someone that maybe you've been drinking Ryan Geist to quote Cincinnati you've been drinking some mad tree but this one's you know another a smaller brewery in Cincinnati you should probably know about it you just ordered it it's Demetric Felton Demetric, sorry, Demetric yes. Felton of UCLA, the running back. We don't talk about running backs a lot, so mm-hmm. this guy must be pretty good. Yeah, I think he's a Richard Jr. UCLA doesn't get a bulk of the carries there. It's like plays half slot, half running back, but is one of the most one of my favorite route runners among the running backs uh, in this draft class. If he, you know, does come out, I think he does have another year of eligibility, so not necessarily uh, has to come out. But already thirty three catches this year for four hundred twenty two yards. Go back to the Washington State game where he went for one fifty. Uh, I mean, he just is a nightmare for linebackers to cover. Uh, he's a little smaller at 185 and get up into the 190s. Like a little smaller version of Tony Pollard is probably the better best okay. way to describe him. He's a little shifty, uh, but I think uh, I think he has the modern NFL game. And when we talked about this a good deal before, we're going to like these guys more than your traditional bell cow, A.J. Dillon running backs. We're going to yeah. prefer these guys because these guys win in the NFL. These guys provide value. A.J. Dillon's very replaceable. And I think you, you brought it up right at the beginning. We brought up a running back, and the first thing you said, his route running looks really good. And I think that's yes. where we're at with running back value right now. A.J. Dillon may have tree trunks for legs, but if you're not adding value as yeah. a receiver and can and create separation on routes and, and be that mismatch all offenses are chasing right now, it's hard to project that you'll have legitimate value, non-replaceable value in the NFL. And it's like, oh, A.J. Dillon will gain four yards on an inside zone handoff between the tackle where someone else might gain three. This guy will gain 60 yards on a on a sort of uh, which we'll call it a, a quick screen a, or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. A, on a on an angle route where someone else might gain 10. That, yeah. So that's a big difference. AJ Dillon on an angle route. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, man, that's a big oh, angle. I was going to say it's more of a curve. Yeah, not, there's no way he's the cutting that one too tough yeah. here. And I, uh, with AJ Dillon, though, I will say he probably provides more body blows. I, you're getting <laughs> you're getting you're getting body blows per touch way more with AJ Dillon. Now than we're getting into felt. the advanced. Now we're getting into sure, I don't, that, that's in PFF. Super 
super elite. That's another subscription. It's uh, it's not even worth bringing up the cost of body blows <laughs> per touch, by the way. But again, that's going to do it for the two for one drafts podcast, the Thursday one. And remember, you can catch us live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But that's going to do it. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. <laughs>